welcome to the Litigation Psychology Podcast, brought to you by Courtroom Sciences. Dr. Steve Wood, here with me, Dr. Bill Kanaski. Bill, how's it going? Well, I know one thing, um, and we can't, we don't know when this is going to be posted. It could be a couple of weeks from now, right? So let's not give away what, what week it is. But I can assure you that my college football picks that we did preseason have gone right into the toilet. <laughs> yeah, my- I, I can just... I'll I'll tell you that right now. Yours actually are looking okay. Yeah. Um, I uh, this is why I do not bet on this stuff. Oh my gosh! And you know exactly who I'm talking about. Like two of my just done. Like I'm just done. Yeah. Well, like I said, that's why that's what makes it interesting, though, is you never know. When you think you know, you don't know. Yeah. But what I will say, um, my Chicago Bears need to. Everybody should by the by the time this podcast gets posted everybody should be fired <laughs> all of them i was gonna say i, I don't think it matters what week no, we post this. doesn't matter what week See, they this. haven't won they haven't won a game in over 300 days their last win was last october they've lost 13 in a row well i just gave well i just gave something away hey by the time this post they will have lost what 16 in a row yeah 16 in a row yeah, fire I mean, everybody. I'm a Jets fan, so I can't say much else, though. So just, just. Well, that's bad. listen. You guys put the. I'm. Yeah, I, I listen. I wanted Rodgers to do well there, um, and I wanted them. I really wanted that to to go someplace, and that lasted. The memes on that are hilarious, by the way. Yeah. What do you get? Four plays in. I think you got four plays. Yeah, four plays. Yeah, all of four plays. Uh, all right. Well, this is so, going to be a great so. podcast. This is going to be a great podcast because I know we need to do part two of the operant conditioning. We talked about what you need to do as an attorney, right? And what we we do a lot of uh, as consultants to work with your witness and use these psychological principles. But now we're going to cover what the opposing counsel is doing actually to your witness during the deposition and what to look out for. But you can train the witness to detect these things. But before that, we got to go into an epic rant. And I know you're going to be all over this because you and I text about these this every I mean, every week, yeah. every week. Um, and you're really good. At, I mean, you you send me a lot of text messages because really, we both go to the gym uh, frequently. Uh, and I think uh, for both of us, because we travel, you know, probably part of the time it's the hotel gym and part of the time it's your local gym. <laughs> But this rant, I think, applies across the board, no matter what Jim uh, you're at. So so what I've done, and I checked this out with you, but I want you to contribute to all these. Uh, I have gone through um, to, uh, I, I, I've developed a classification system for men, not women, men at the gym. Because I got to tell you, the, the the gym is amazing people watching. Fair. Yes. Right? But it's the women are fine. It's it's the men that make me crazy. Is that fair? That's fair. And I've I've got, we've got to break down this classification system. And I want I want you to give me your thoughts to each one. So I have several classifications of them. Okay. So types of guys at the gym that make you and I nuts. Number uh, let's, let's start there. Number one, um, the old creepy guy. You know who I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Right. Usually over seventy. Right. And just a creepy dude, right? Typically just looking at all the younger women. And um, now they're always there. And hey, I applaud. Hey, listen, you want to live a long time. I mean, fitness is arguably, right? That's what the scientists say. Number one thing you should be doing. Um, do you got the old, do you got the old, the, uh, in my gym, I got a couple of creepy guys. How about you? Uh, 
and in my gym, I don't. I actually have a couple old guys though that would probably put us to shame. Actually, um, the maybe I think you to shame, get, huh? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Maybe put, put put me to shame, but no, nah, we got there's some old guys actually that in in my gym that are that are that are pretty good for for being old. But I know exactly what you're talking about though. That that well, I do live in Florida where right. there's just older yeah. population. Yeah. yeah, you live in you live in College Station. Yeah, it's mostly. Okay, so I think there's th- this. This is not evenly distributed across all gyms. Okay, so I have an old. Okay, so old creepy guy. I have a lot of the other ones though on this list. Though. I know. Okay, this is, this is this is coming. Okay, number number two, I call the don't belong guy. Now I got I've got two of these at my local gym. They come in and it happened at the hotel gym too. The dude comes in. I kid you not. He's wearing a polo, khakis, and loafers. Like, like he's on his lunch, like he's on his lunch break over at the bank or over, over at the financial advising office and comes in and starts working out in like business casual. Do you have, have you seen one of these? Yeah, I have seen one of those before. Yes. And I always, I always wonder, like you said, are they going back to work? Are they coming from work? I, I, I don't understand. I'm just, a sweater. So like if, if I, if I were to go and do something I like know, that, right? it'd be bad. I mean, can you not bring a duffel bag? Come on. Okay, so we got old creepy guy. We got don't belong guy. Okay, here's the one that drives you crazy. I know I, I'm positive this drives you crazy, and I have several of these. I know you have the same. Um, I'm gonna call him the tough guy. Yeah, the tough guy. So here's what it is: a lot of grunting and verbal noise during repetitions, right? Yep. Um, the appearance of um, pure anger. Okay, and this is the best one has to like pace around in circles between sets. Yeah. Okay. No, and 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 to top it off, has to slam the weights down when they're done. That know, drives okay. me nuts. As you know, it drives me absolutely nuts. It's uh, not necessary. No, it's not. You can control heavy weight uh without without slamming it down. And and in fact, my son actually slammed his weights the other day by accident and he was Did like mortified. He was mortified. You, you need to yeah, you you can't tolerate that. Yeah. Uh, but you have to teach your kid. You don't need to be right like as you're lifting okay it's just i just don't think that's necessary either i mean there's certain gyms for that you know i go i go to my neighborhood gyms kind of normal population they got bodybuilding gyms right you yeah go do that but uh yeah but the, the 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 tough guy um you know every gym has one of those yeah. uh, and then and this is kind of related sometimes we may have an interaction effect here the next one is i call the serious guy okay so this is the guy that brings the duffel bag with him doesn't put it in a locker brings it to like carries it around with him to each machine or each bench right right yeah and they're actually like mixing protein shakes and taking vitamins during the workout have you seen this that that i have not seen personally yeah yeah i got two of these in my and the guy i mean he's like Mix like actually he's got a big bottle of water and he's like may I guess he's trying to time his protein synthesis right probably yeah and and, and taking vitamins or creatine during the workouts so I I mean I do that stuff pre and post but I I mean don't do you think that's a little over the top to probably yeah I'd say I mean I, I don't think again not necessary but hey this is the world we're living in okay next one I got you and you definitely have a couple of these uh, let's just call this guy the idiot. Okay. Does not belong in the gym using the equipment wrong has no earthly idea what he's doing. Now, see, these people concern me, Steve, because I fear serious injury with some of the, I mean, if you're using 
one of these machines wrong or you're on free weights and your form's bad, I mean, you're asking for an emergency room visit, are you not? Yes. Now, I guess the question becomes, though, then you have to ask yourself, do you go up and help them, though? Or are you overstepping your bounds uh-huh. to help them? No, because the then you're going to th- no, because that. OK, so not because now if Good you segue, do that, you right. turn into my next guy, which I call. And by the way, I think this is the worst. I call him the I call him the instructor. There's nothing more annoying. Hey, I, I know what I'm doing. I've been lifting weights since I've been 13 years old, Steve. I I, I double majored in exercise science, okay? It's the guy that walks around telling people how to do the exercise correctly. You know, you know, you know this guy? Oh, like, yeah. you don't even know this guy. Yeah. He's like, you know, you got to keep your elbows in a little bit. It's like, you know, screw you. What, <laughs> get away from me. What are you doing? And like, oh, you know, like they, they think they're trainers or something and they're going through and, and, and give, telling everybody what to do. It's annoying. Really, it's really, it's really, really annoying, you know? You should keep your back straighter when you do that. It's like, okay, shut up. <laughs> okay, if I need a personal trainer, I'd I'd hire one. Um, again, the next guy, and this is a close second, I can't stand it. And you you have to have one of these. Um, I'll call him the the talker. Yeah. The talker. Now I work out alone because I don't want I, I'm not going to the gym to socialize. Okay. I got my earbuds in. I'm going there to lift heavy, heavy things until it hurts over and over. I'm going to do it again and again and again. And yeah, I'm getting out a little rage, getting out a little rage. I like it. I don't, do you have the guy that like, like kind of wants to talk about the game? And I'm like, no, dude, I like, I'm here to work. You got a couple of those guys, right? Oh, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. And it's like one of those when you, if you get trapped, you're in trouble because there goes the, you know, 10 minutes between your next set. Yeah. I know. It's just, it goes, it's like, Okay, get away from me. And I don't want to be a, like a, I want to be a dick, right? Yeah. But at the same time, I got work to do and I'm very very focused when I'm lifting and I don't you know, I don't want to talk about the the new Netflix special when I'm about to leg press 750. I I don't I don't need that in my life, okay? Um the next one which you kind of alluded to and I got three of these at my gym and and I would love to be one of these one day and I'm going to call the this guy the old man badass you know yeah. what i'm talking about yeah, yeah listen i got three guys at my gym that are easily 65 to 68 range steve i i think they could kill me with their bare hands i mean <laughs> these guys look yeah. i mean they look like arnold and they're in their late 60s um i'm absolutely terrified and i'm i'm a, I'm a pretty big dude these guys you ever watch these guys work out yeah, yeah. oh oh Wow. So I'd like to graduate to that stage. I'm not yeah. quite old enough yet. Um, I would hope 15 years they could call me, start calling me old. But uh, uh, those guys are very impressive. Very, I mean, very, very impressive. And uh, this is those guys you just don't mess with, right? Yeah. No, those, we definitely have a few of those guys. And I'm always, like I said, I'm always impressed that someone who's that old can be in that good shape. Okay. Uh, final two, and th- these are two bad ones. Uh, and you know, you you definitely have these, and I'm guilty of this too. But I have to rest between my sets. Okay. Um, let's call this guy the texter, right? Yeah. So between each set, right? What is he doing? Right. Well, he's on his phone texting. Well, you know, maybe I'm waiting for that machine. Now, listen, I lift pretty heavy, so in between sets, I'm a, I'm a solid two minutes, sometimes three. To catch my breath, to get, you know, because I mean, I'm lifting some pretty heavy stuff here. I have to get recharged. Uh, I, I can't, 
you know, I, I can't do shoulder press, rest for 30 seconds, then do it again. Uh, there's that, that's a really bad idea for many reasons. So if I'm on the, you know, let's just say the uh, one of the machines, say lat pull down, right? And I'm doing heavy. Well, yeah, I get my phone and I may, I may check what song I'm on and fast forward the song. I may send you a text or something, but I take two minutes. Do you, do you ever see the guy sit there and like, well, for seven minutes, we'll just be on um, YouTube or Facebook. Yeah. Yeah, I've definitely seen that. But I, I will say that I I'm, I fall into that sometimes, not the whole watching YouTube. but I No, yeah, but I, I think it's safe because, I mean, listen, I like to do uh, maybe get on my newsreel. Yeah. Maybe, re you know, read something. To, to get some TikToks about how bad the bears are. Yes, yes. And I, I, like, I like to do that. Actually, I have a no TikTok policy at the gym because it oh, distracts really? me. But I'll, I'll read a news story or a fitness article or something like that. So, and the last one, and this, this is this is your nomination. Um the shamer yeah the shamer i i tell us tell us about the shamer i've seen these no I, i'm the one the ones I, I always see is is that the the person who posts a video of someone and you know about doing something although you know whether they're doing it right or wrong or the way they're dressed or if they're if they're a heavier person who's who's trying to work out and then yeah. post it on social media and just dogs on that person well, yeah so typically the shamer is taking pictures yes. of the don't be long guy, uh, the tough guy. Sometimes it's the tough guy because they're trying to make fun of the tough guy, which is maybe not a good uh, thing. Um, taking pictures of the idiot, right? Yeah. And they're putting that online to to shame them. Yes. So yes. I'm so so there you have it. If we've missed every anything, please feel free to reach out. Um, to us but i mean that's what i'm seeing at the gym and uh again the, the people watching is fantastic and um but i think we'll, we'll get some more categories as life goes on right yeah there's always always a new category okay. but speaking well, don't of be, categories, don't be a shamer don't be a shamer don't be a shamer is exactly right there's uh there's actually a guy joey swole on uh facebook tiktok and all that who actually kind of we swole joey swole yeah and he, that's obviously that's not his name no, but but he actually is, uh, you know, he actually goes and, and gets pretty angry when people are doing the shaming. And so he tries to change gym culture culture. So, well, it should be because I see I do see people in there that um, are trying to attain their fitness goals, which I think is something very important. And um, everybody's, you know, kind of in a different place on their timeline. And there are some beginners in there. And I think they should be applauded is what I think. Correct. Exactly. All right. You ready? Right. Let's talk about let's talk about operant conditioning, part two of operant conditioning. The yeah. you know, this this actually to me is is the more interesting one as far as like you said, part one, we talked about how to do it with your witnesses and how to use operant conditioning to help your witnesses. This one is more how opposing counsel uses it to derail witnesses. And I think this mm -hmm. is the the one that's almost I I'd almost say it's more important actually is for your witnesses to understand the yeah. what opposing counsel is doing rather than than the, the other one. Yeah, um, because there's a lot of yeah. I mean, it's it's I mean, it's uh, psychological warfare. Yeah, exactly. And while you want to use operant conditioning principles, which we can review again, which are are positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement, and punishment, uh, you want to use those to train your witness and prep your witness, right? Um, to 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 get them where they need to be to be effective. Uh, but then you also need to educate them about how the questioner is going to use some of these techniques 
against them as they're testifying. So um, do you want to start with positive reinforcement? Sure. Yeah. So if you can, if you recall from, from the first, from the first episode, you know, operant conditioning obviously is shaping behavior or changing behavior, either increasing or decreasing it by rewarding or punishing. So going back to positive reinforcement, positive reinforcement obviously is where you're rewarding behavior with the goal of trying to increase the likelihood of that behavior occurring. And when you think about it from opposing counsel's standpoint, that's the, you know, as, as the witness is giving answers, opposing counsel is giving these nonverbal, you know, nonverbal cues. They're giving these sort of head nods, all these types of things that are rewarding the witness for, for giving the answer and essentially makes the, the witness feel like they're being a good witness. They're providing accurate information and then they want to continue to do that. Yeah. So here's the key to this. So, so when the witness, here's, here's the key. So when the witness gives an answer that we would categorize as faulty or erroneous, right? Yeah. Meaning they agree with something they shouldn't. They uh, give too much information and an explanation. They volunteer information that's not asked for. So when they're making errors, the questioner picks up on that and rewards the error. Because remember the definition, right? They right. want to increase that behavior. So when your witness is given this long, long rambling answer, right? And that's something we don't want. The question, the, the opposing counsel is shaking their head and nodding and looking very interested, right? And then the follow-up questions come in this like very positive reinforcement tone, like, oh, wow, that's pretty interesting. Can you tell me more about that? And then right. your witness is like, I'd be happy to. So it's manipulating the witness into thinking they're giving effective answers when in reality they're not right right and i mean they are giving effective answers for opposing counsel right yeah, yeah, yeah. depends but, on your perspective yeah exactly I mean, um but yeah no i think that that's exactly when you know that the, what they want to encourage is, is getting the long-winded responses opening doors that they shouldn't volunteering information and all of that comes from that nonverbal behavior um, even the same thing i think kind of the whole idea where we talk about witnesses want to fill the silence yeah they might give they might give their short concise response and then opposing counsel is just kind of sitting there waiting for them to to provide more and then that's when that nonverbals become or they lean in or they you know pique their interest and all that yeah. and then the witness goes oh okay well i guess he wants to hear more so he or she wants to hear more and that's when they launch into it as well yeah so this you know acting interested right um, and then adjusting body language. To, and I mean, you could, I mean, you could just do it with body language and facial expression, right? Yeah. You can positively reinforce. Yeah. So, you don't even need to say anything really. Like you said, the, yeah. the, the nonverbals could be just enough to, 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 and we're going to talk about nonverbals on the other portion too, but yeah, nonverbals can be enough just as the, the verbals. Now, now, I mean, you're, you're the social psychologist. Is there, is there a certain sensitivity to positive reinforcement when the expectation of a witness, because many witnesses come in, they're anxious, they're fearful, and they're expecting this to go really, really bad. Yeah. And then instead, <laughs> right, there's this nice professional attorney doing all these positive reinforcements right does the does the witness brain have kind of a more sensitive uh sensitivity to that given the the different dynamic there 
Yeah, I would say so. I mean, I think it would be one of those things that you're going in expecting some dangerous environment. So you're got your guard up and, and you're, you know, trying to be defensive and, and all of these types of things, because you think you're walking into a danger zone. And then when you get in there and you realize it's not as bad, essentially it causes you to be more relaxed and you let your guard down. And before you know it, you you're thinking, okay, well, this isn't as bad as what everyone said it was going to be. And then I think, as we always say, you know, if it feels good, you're screwing it up, right? If it hurts, yeah. you're doing good. If it feels good, you're screwing it up. Yeah, this this happened to me at the dentist the other day. You know, I went in there like wincing. And I'm like, what? Halfway, halfway through it, I'm like, damn, this ain't that bad. By the end of it, I was kicking myself, right? Yeah. Um, but boy, it felt it felt as like, wow, this this ain't so bad. And then uh, yeah, then then that drill came out and that, yeah, the, then then that was that. Bad. <laughs> so should we go to punishment or negative reinforcement? Since I just brought up the uh the the tooth drill, yeah. uh we can we can do either one. Yeah, uh let's 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 stick with the reinforcement. We talk about negative reinforcement because yeah. I think this is one you and I have talked about uh, over and over again. But obviously the yeah. idea of negative reinforcement that essentially so remove yes, it is. I mean, removing a negative stimuli in order to increase the behavior. So a lot of times people think it's a key so to punishment, but it's not. It's, it's, it's yeah. Removed. So the new okay. So so the new one. Uh, I I need to send you this slide if I if, if I haven't yet. So the new one, just because it's hard to come up with analogies for negative reinforcement. It really really is. But a good one is okay. So you okay. So you're in traffic. You have a car in front of you. The light turns green. They're not going. So you you get annoyed. So your behavior because you okay. So you have a, so so the stimulus is the car. Right. That's annoying you. You want to get rid of that stimulus. So what do you do with your horn? Lay and then you, you, you light them up with your horn and yeah. then they, they get it and they go away. That's negative reinforcement, right? You're, right. you're, you are doing something to get rid of a negative stimulus. Okay. So in that position, the negative annoying stimulus is the opposing counsel repeating questions over and over and over. So your brain's like, Hey, I'm going to beep the horn because I want this to stop. And the beeping the horn translates into, I'm going to explain myself <laughs> to, to this reasonable person. Um, and I'm going to explain some more and explain, because that's what's going to get the negative stimulus to go away. And Steve, it's actually the very opposite, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. No, we always talk about witnesses wanting to say, I'll say anything, whatever. I'll just kind of, give, give these answers. Cause if I just give my side of the story, I just get out of that chair and, and, and be done with it. But as, as we all know, the more you talk, the more you provide information, the longer you're going to be there. So it actually is counter opposite, counterintuitive to what you think. It's just so hard. To, it's really, really hard to understand, but it's also um, negative enforcement's really powerful, really, really powerful because the brain, it's not a good thing for the brain and if you think about it in society, we don't handle it really well. Well, there you go. See, beeping the horn is really not, it's not a positive thing, right? Right. Um, and in, in the society, when 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 people are being annoying, right? We, you know, unless you're at a, uh, I mean, you and I share videos back and forth of, uh, you know, more fans getting uh, clobbered in the face uh, during fistfights during professional and college sports. Yeah. So, so obviously there's, the, that's a very negative way to handle it. But yeah, the, the brain just is not, um, doesn't really handle that well. 
And the implications for deposition are pretty high because the brain wants, again, the brain wants to get the negative stimulus to stop by talking because um, that's pretty much the civilized way to do it, right? Yeah. Um, and, and, and that's what you, that's what we tend to do um, with, uh, with our friends, our family, our, you know, our, our, our coworkers. But then you do that with opposing counsel. And before you know it, you know, more information, more information. And so you're pretty much setting yourself up for additional counterattack inconsistency. And then um, quite frankly, it just looks on videotape for deposition. It looks terrible because you're all over the place. And then if you do it at trial, I think, um, and again, you're the credibility. I, I think it hurts your credibility as a witness. Oh, absolutely. It absolutely does because it's the whole idea of, you know, the yeah, but yeah, but yeah, but explanation, you know, yeah. you can give the same explanation where you can say yes, period, and then provide your explanation when you have an opportunity, but the yeah, but yeah, but yeah, but looks defensive. It looks like you're making an excuse and it just, oh, it, dude, it, dude, are we going to work? Are we working pivoting into this podcast? We're oh, going to work. We might I love it. Yeah. Always I try love to it. Pivoting sucks. People. It yeah. does not work. <laughs> does not work. I love watching the congressional testimony and the on, t- on tiktok oh my god nobody can answer a question it's yeah but yeah but yeah but uh so we got some of those good videos but uh man yeah um i think the other thing bill though we didn't, on, on on negative reinforcement that we, we didn't talk about too is is the idea when you get the same question over and over again where you say no 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 and then finally on the seventh one you say yes well, guess what? Yeah. No one cares yeah. that you said no the other times before that. Now I got the yes on the record. Yeah. So if if a, if a, if you say no, 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 and then on number four, you go, well, probably not. Well, okay. Then probably not goes to maybe. Yeah. Then maybe goes to, and then it's just a, yeah. So the witness needs to be trained to stick with the answer over and over and over. The problem is the brain doesn't like that. Because right. remember the brain, the brain wants to be, beep the horn in traffic that's what the brain wants to do and in most situations in life it works are you a horn beeper by the way i'm are you, a horn are beeper you, are, you, are you those guys? see my wife's that see i don't do that because i'm in florida see, i don't you live in texas i think like, i don't want to get shot it's not I, it's I not i don't lay on the horn though it's, it's i'm a not an instigator my oh my my wife is on the horn and Laying sometimes an occasional finger up you know i mean <laughs> yeah that's just not how I do it. Right. But see, that's what your brain kind of wants to do. And so you gotta, it's very tricky to rewire that brain to stay persistent with the answer because it really goes against the way the brain is wired. So this requires some advanced training. That's what we do. Uh, If you just tell, by the way, every attorney tells their witness, right? Be consistent, stick with your, don't change your answer. That doesn't work. Does it? No, (laughs) no. It's, it's it's easier said than done. Uh, it's much know, easier said than it, done. You know, a lot of times enough doesn't, there's not enough work that goes into getting people. Cause I'm mean, like you said, it's not just something that you can just say, don't do it. And then expect a witness to not do it. Yeah. It's something you have to to work and work and work to get them to yeah. understand. And like you said, change their frame of thinking. You're right. Okay. Let's finish this up with punishment. All right. So punishment, punishment is one we see uh, a lot in some, I mean, we won't name any names of any attorneys, but we've seen some Can't do it. that, Can't are, do that it. are extremely bad. Um, in their punishment. Um, but obviously these are going to be the ones that are going to get sarcastic. These are going to be the ones that scream, yeah. yell. I mean, there's various ways to do it. I mean, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be the table pounder, but you know, it could be sarcasm, tone and inflection in their voice. 
Yeah. All, all of it is, is disappointment. Disappointment's a tricky one. Yeah. Disappointment yeah. and slash confusion. Right. You look like, so the witness, so here's, here's the key. So the witness gives an effective answer. And so where punishment plays a role is, is after an effective answer, because remember, by definition, punishment is to decrease the behavior, right? Yeah. So the attorney doesn't like that answer. So what the attorney does is change their attitude, their emotional uh, expression, uh, facial expression, posture, tone of their voice, whatever, to get the witness off of that answer, right? And like you said, there are the table pounders. And the whole, the whole message is, the whole kind of message to the witness is, your answer is not sufficient, it's not appropriate, or uh, I've seen them even kind of imply that they're lying, right? Right, yeah. Right, so they give a good answer, then the attorney says, I'm sorry, yeah, you, you know you're under oath, right? Do you, expect, do you expect a jury here in whatever county to believe that you're going to say X? Come on, right? right? I mean, that, and that's really, like, if you're not ready for that, that's a really sophisticated form of punishment. And a lot of witnesses at that point panic, go fight or flight, and then it's off to the races. Yeah. And we, I mean, we've seen it before. And, and even if, it, or they freeze, right? They just start saying, mm -hmm. yes, yes, yes. They'll say whatever opposing counsel yeah. wants them to like, say. Like freeze. Yeah. They'll say whatever opposing counsel wants them to say because they don't want to have them yell at them again. They don't want to have them get sarcastic. They don't want to have all that stuff. Yeah. They're like, geez, if I give these good answers, if I give these effective answers, I'm getting pushback. I don't like that. So I'm going to try to avoid getting that. So I'm going to give answers they like, which are not effective answers. Yeah. Now, one of the things that, uh, and I know the person you're talking about, who was <laughs> my name, one of his favorite things to, to, so the witness gives a perfect answer, right? Uh, or it doesn't matter what the answer is, is they do this whole uh, move to strike as non-responsive, yeah. right? Yeah. Even if it's a good answer. Now, actually, see, when a witness starts pivoting, the opposing counsel should point that out. Right. And say, I object, move to strike. Your answer is non-responsive. Because when you're pivoting, you're not responding. But then what they'll do is they'll sneak that in there after a good answer. <laughs> right. To try to fool the witness into, oh, no, like, I'm in trouble. Oh, he's he's going to call the judge or okay. something like that. Yeah, um, no, I mean, it's, yeah. it's like you said, it's it's purely psychological warfare. <laughs> um Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I also see this. Um, and Steve, talk about about this. I also see this when the witness authentically does not know the answer and says, I don't know, or they don't remember the answer. It's authentic. And and how they punish that. Right. Yeah. You don't know. What do, you, what, do you, what do you mean? You don't know. You're the safety director of the trucking company. Yeah. You would talk a little bit about how they do that on the on the non-answers, they can they can punish the witness, and then the witness can end up taking a wild guess just to give them something to shut them up. Well, I think that's one thing we see a lot, right? Of corporate representatives, people who are in higher yeah. up positions and stuff, when they say "I don't know" to things that they truly don't know, like you said, they get punished. And to you, like you said, you're the safety director. You're telling me you don't know that, and and it's obviously the witness then goes, "Oh man, I I guess I should know. I mean, I I, I better know. I'm the safety yeah. director. He's right. Maybe I maybe I'm not qualified for my job. So." What they end up doing then is, is speculating. And of course, opposing counsel does nothing more than for them to speculate because then they have a document or something they're going to shove in their face to show them that what they said was wrong. You know, and yeah. they would have been better off just saying, I don't know, and then and then sit with 
with the repercussions of opposing counsel saying you don't know and say, yeah, I'm sorry. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that covers it. So I think, you know, in some here, you have to teach your witnesses that operant conditioning will be used against them during testimony. And, uh, and Steve, correct me if I'm wrong, the way to do this is when you're doing, say, deposition or trial testimony simulation is to play those dirty tricks on them. Yeah. They absolutely. have to be able to recognize this stuff. Absolutely. I, I, I remember I told you just the other day, I, I got, got a witness so upset with me that he, he uh, flipped me off. <laughs> so, I, that, now that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's really it's, awesome. And, 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 you know, it's because I, I kind of went in and, and got a little bit aggressive, but at the point being was I wanted to shock <laughs> his system because I wanted him to kind of experience it so that he can desensitize him to those tactics, desensitize him to that aggression. So that when it happened yeah. in the deposition, he was ready, prepared for it so that it didn't shock his system. Cause that's exactly what some of these people do, you know, that get really aggressive. They just want to basically short circuit uh, the witnesses kind of thought process, right? Amygdala yeah. hijack and short circuit yeah. their thinking. So before you know it, they're saying things and doing things they wouldn't normally do. And it was all predicated on the fact that opposing counsel was punishing them for effective answers, not because they were doing something wrong, but actually because they were doing something right. Totally agree. All right, there you have it, folks. Operant conditioning to be used during witness prep, but it's also going to be used during the deposition. Steve, take us out. All right. As always, check us out, courtroomsciences.com. Bill and I's podcasts are up there, our papers, a lot of different stuff as it relates to courtroom sciences. Go and check that out. Thanks for everybody for uh, tuning in. This has been another edition of the Litigation Psychology Podcast brought to you by Courtroom Sciences. That's it.